Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Casual Man Catter, the point in the universe where cricket and obsession intersect. Today was the first day of the David Warner five-day love-a-thon, uh, <laughs> and well, we can talk about David Warner another day, because he didn't have to do much today, as it turns out, because uh, Pakistan won the toss, decided to bat on a wicket that they, looks like to take spin, but they were awful to start with again. Abdullah Shafiq, um, for a guy who's got such a great record, he has looked like nothing like that since he's been out here. Uh, and they sent the poor old debutant out as well. He went out second ball. So Australia had uh, two wickets within the first eight balls. <laughs> and and they were in all sorts of trouble. And at five for 90, uh, 96, just after lunch when Shan Massoud was dismissed, Pakistan should have been all out by two. And Australia should have been batting and could have been anything. Could have been done for 100. They could have been four for 50 themselves. But that's not what happened, and part of that, I think, was that the ball got old and that the wicket showed that it's going to be a very slow and dead wicket as we get through the match. But some fight was played by the Pakistanis today, which was fantastic. Uh, Mohammad Rizwan plays as he does in every other form of cricket. His 88 off 103 was entertaining, uh, it was attacking, uh, without taking too many risks, and it was just terrific to watch. He was well supported by Aga Salman, who scored 53 off 67, uh, so again at a good rate, and they took to the Australian bowling attack, which had been deadly in the first session, and in the second session looked anything but. But then the jewel in the crown was Arma Jamal, who came on and scored 82 off 97, and was also helped by Mir Hamza, and so they put on, uh, what was it, 80, 80 or 85 for the last wicket when, it, when they'd been 9 for 227 and they finished up making 313. And it was a terrific innings because he played sensibly, he rotated the strike, he tried to he retain the strike at the end of an over uh, with a couple of balls to go in each over. Harms had just put a dead bat on it, everything. And then Jamal would attack, and especially took to Nathan Lyon, which you know, was very pleasant to watch, to be honest. Uh, and he batted really well and really sensibly. And here's a kid in his first test series who took six for at, at Perth in the first test, and now he scored 82 at almost a runner ball with nine fours and four sixes in his third test match. You'd have to say Pakistan have got some talent, but more than anything else, don't you just wish that the Pakistan top order took as hard a look at themselves and played with as much heart as their middle to lower order batting is doing at the moment. They could make anything. This was their big chance. You can see they've made 313. If they'd been able to make 450 on this wicket, they could have really put the wind up Australia. As it is, they probably still can. 
Um, although, as I said, once the ball got old, it looked like it was going to be very difficult to get anything out of the wicket, apart from the spinners, and they have got two spinners playing in this match. So that will be interesting to see how they go. For Australia, well, Pat Cummins again with five wickets was uh, lion-hearted and after the initial breakthroughs made by Stark and Hazelwood, it was pretty much left to Cummins to do the hard slog again and get these wickets. Um, and it's his fifth five-wicket haul in a row, and it was just amazing to watch. But for Australia, they were very ordinary today and scrappy today. There were dropped catches, um, there were no balls, and wickets taken with no balls. And again, at the end of the day, when we're trying to bowl at the tail, we've resorted back to the short-pitched bowling uh, regime that we thought they'd finally given away when it wasn't necessary. They'd taken all these wickets by bowling good lengths and getting the ball to move around, and then suddenly when we're bowling at the tail, we've decided that short bowling's going to be the way to get them out, and it proved once again to be false. And I don't know how important that last wicket partnership is going to be. Um, I mean, it was 86 runs, as it turns out, uh, now that I can use my maths. That's a lot of runs for a last wicket pair to make uh, in a match that has moved ahead pretty quickly, and we'll talk about the overrides shortly. Uh, Overall, an entertaining day's cricket, and I think at the moment there are a lot of Australians out there who really want Pakistan to do well to put our team under the pump to see how good they actually are. Because at the moment, we still don't know exactly how good they are under adversity and under tougher conditions. In the air and gone. Gone again. So Pat Cummins sets the trap. They fall into it. That is his 12th five-wicket haul. It's his third in a row, his seventh at captain. And the first time here at the SCG. Seriously, what the hell is going on with this overrate? On this first day of this test match, there was 80 overs in total in six and a half hours of cricket. Australia bowled out Pakistan in 77.1. There's two overs for the changeover, and Pakistan got one over in before six o'clock. It's a disgrace. And this continues to be allowed to happen, and they say, oh, well, you lose points in the World Test Championship by bowling slow. No one cares about the World Test Championship, for goodness sakes. That's not an... um, What's the word? I've forgotten already. I'm all riled up. (laughs) That's not going to stop teams bowling slowly. And... You know what? They're going to look at today and they're going to see there was a couple of times when the sight screen was a problem for the Pakistan players, so that held them up five minutes. And then one of the Pakistan players got hit in the chest and that held up for another five minutes. And then they say, well, there's two overs there that we didn't get in, but it doesn't matter. You should still be able to move fast enough between overs to get these overs in and be forced to bowl them. And I know that they're going to try and start bringing in a a shot clock, I guess is the best way to call it. Uh, to make sure that everyone gets between the overs and that the next over starts within whatever it is, 30 seconds or 60 seconds of the last over starting. There's got to be something they can do about it. No drinks breaks for a start. No coming on and interrupting, bringing on gloves and drinks for batsmen and whatever. Everyone survived fine in every other year of cricket without having drinks run on all the time and bloody sets of gloves and, and changing caps for helmets and taking some Aspro and all this kind of stuff that takes forever out of the game. 
Now, I was supposed to be at the first day of this test match, and I'm glad I didn't go, although my golf today on the golf course was not good. But imagine only being for six and a half hours and only seeing 80 overs of cricket. It's an absolute disgrace. Both teams are to blame. Both teams on the paddock have to do something about moving this on because it's their responsibility. And the umpire, you can say, oh, the umpire should be making them go fast. Players don't listen to umpires. They don't care. And the umpires, well, they can't do anything either. They can't send a player off or you know, try to get people off the ground if they, oh, no, I'm injured. I've got to stay here and, and be looked at. It's time for the players to take this responsibility on and actually try to do something about this overrate. Better yet, let's impose a penalty. And what I reckon is that for every over that a team doesn't get in that they should have, then you get 10 penalty runs to the other team. So Australia today, there was only 80 overs bowled. So Australia were in, and that's in six and a half hours. And I'm talking in six hours, not even six and a half hours. But at the worst, let's go to six and a half hours. Australia's 10 overs short, no matter which way you look at it. So Pakistan should get 100 penalty runs, which takes their total over 400. Now that, for Australia, makes it really difficult for them to try and force this game into uh, a deciding innings if they have to now score 500 to be 100 in front instead of being 200 in front. So then it's on the fooling team to actually go faster. And you might again say, yeah, but the batting team, they don't get ready in time. They're asking for gloves and changes of things, and they're talking about the side screen and stuff. Well, that's the umpires. You just say, face up and bowl. And if they're not ready, just tell the bowler, bowl the ball. Too bad. It's pretty simple. The umpires are in charge of the game. They're the ones who should be doing something about that as well. Let's get on board. Let's do something about it before we just lose people going to test cricket and losing interest in it because we don't see enough of actual cricket during the day. Don't worry about that one. I think we've all seen that one go. Very, very big. Surely they've got to rethink this now. Even Australia have got to do some thinking. Why didn't Shaheen Shah Afridi play this test match? What's going on there? And he is the one who apparently decided that he was going to miss this test match, that he was going to rest for this test match. It's the last test match of the series. Pakistan are down 2-0, but with if they could catch and a bit of luck goes their way, it could be 1-1 at worst. And yet here is their leading fast bowler, the man who leads their attack, who is looked up to, who is seen as the, uh, the leader of the pack. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to sit this one out, boys. Get out there and have some fun out there in the third test. I thought it was a disgraceful decision, firstly by the player, who was apparently the one who said that he wasn't going to play, secondly by the management, who didn't say to him, you've been picked on this tour, you get paid, you're playing this test match unless you can prove that you are injured. And thirdly, why isn't the captain having a crack at it as well and saying we need you here to lead this attack? It just seems ridiculous. And we all know Pakistan, as a team, always do things strangely and differently. Um, but what sort of example does that set for the rest of the bowling attack that are there? They're all young bowlers who are coming in, and not just necessarily young, but with far less experience in test cricket and, and international cricket than this guy. And what do they just think? They just think, oh, well, if I don't feel like playing, I'm just going to put my hand up and say, you know what? I don't feel like playing. 
and it's, it's the same thing that happened um, with the guy who's playing in for the Stars in the BBL. It's ridiculous that he's not playing in this Test Match series. And this is where there's a real problem going forward where management have got to sort of put their foot down and say, you're expected to do this. You're expected to go out and do the right thing. And it's exactly what should be happening. The Pakistan management should have said to him, you're not injured. You've bowled a lot of overs, but you're not injured. So get out there and bowl again. You know what? If he breaks down, well, too bad. It's just the way cricket is. There's too much bloody pussyfooting around in this day and age when it comes to fast bowlers and crap like that. Um, I think it's piss poor by him, by Shaheen Shah Afridi. And uh, I don't know how they go about punishing that or whatever it is, but there must be, there's got to be some sort of disciplinary action put in to at least make it look like that Pakistan are serious about winning test cricket games and that they're serious about players actually playing for their country. Picks it up on the leg side and deposits away. Jamal, the second six. Oh, and just a heads up for the person who stole David Warner's baggy green caps that were in his backpack and uh, have disappeared off the face of the planet, apparently, even though there's been appeals out there for their return and whatever. Um, I'm interested in them, if you've got them. Uh, if you want to drop them around to my place, I've got no drama. I don't want to give them back. I, I don't even really want to wear them. Uh, I really would like to give them to my dog and see just how long it takes him to destroy them like he destroys every other toy animal he's been given. How good is Phoebe Litchfield and how good is she going to be? Uh, Overnight, the Australian women wrapped up the one-day series in India uh, with a third victory. So uh, it was a whitewash, uh, a 3-0 series victory in the ODIs after losing the only test. Um, Australia dominated 7 for 338 and then bowled India out for 148. But Phoebe Litchfield brought up her century. 119 off 125 balls that included 16 fours and a six. That was part of an opening partnership of a 189 with her captain, Alyssa Hurley, who also made 82. But she is just magnificent to watch. And I know she failed in the test match with 18 and a duck. But honestly, in the one-day game and the T20 game, she is just dominating. She scored 260 runs in this one-day series in three innings, average of 86.66, strike rate of 83, with one century and two 50s, uh, dominated the boundary count, and she is just fantastic up there opening the innings for Australia. Um, and we've got some good batters there. It's good to see Elise Perry back scoring runs as well, and Talia McGrath is also so good. But it's terrific to see someone like Litchfield come through at her age, and she's got years left now. It's like she's coming through at the same age that Meg Lanning and Elise Perry came through in, in recent times, and they have dominated Australian cricket and world cricket as batters in that time frame. And it looks like Phoebe Litchfield is going to do exactly the same thing. Um, over on those wickets over there, they're not easy. Uh, and she has always looked in command and barely looks like getting out. Um, and once she gets that knack in test match cricket as well, and the way she's batting in test match cricket. Uh, she's had a rough start to her test career, but 
she's going to end up playing more test matches than, say, Elise Perry or Meg Lanning ever did because Australia will continue to play more of those than they have in recent years. So that's a great thing for her to increase her output and uh, her domination at that level as well. But Phoebe Litchfield, again, terrific. And then you look at the other, it was, it's great to see Australia, like they have so many spin bowlers and I'm going to talk about the spin bowling aspect of it because over there at the moment we've got uh, uh, Alana King who's been in the team the last two years and has played terrifically well. We've got Georgia Wareham back in the team after injury and she's forced her way in, the other leg spinner. We still have, of course, uh, Ash Gardner who has been fantastic as an off spinner. And we still have Amanda Jade Wellington back in Australia who has dominated the uh, women's BBL over the last two seasons and just can't seem to force her way into this team. Wouldn't India have been the perfect spot to have three leg spinners and an off spinner all in the same team and doing the job? I would have loved to have seen that, but I am biased when it comes to spin bowling. Won't be anything else. Absolutely no surprise there. The appreciation from this crowd go up as one. That's all for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and hopefully you'll be back for the very next episode of the casual man-catter. Cheers.